On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss what authorities and airlines are doing to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. Kobe Bryant and his daughter are among those killed in a helicopter crash in California, and Boeing's 777X takes flight for the first time. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz and we're back. We are back. And I am literally just back. Flew in from Copenhagen just now. Wow. They let you out of the house. They for for 26 hours. Long enough to fly from Chicago to Copenhagen, turn around and come back. And why and did you sit. do such a thing? Who knows? Who I, I mean, know there's a reason. Th- there's got to be a reason, but I don't know what it was. No. Dig. So, yeah, I, I will dig and try and find the reason. Scandinavian Airlines took delivery of their first A350 a few months ago, and they've been training and, and getting ready for the big day, which was today. And they operated their first revenue flight with the aircraft from Copenhagen to Chicago. And we had a wonderful flight, the smoothest flight I've ever been on, not even a, a little bump, but uh, got uh, a nice view of Iceland, a little bit of Greenland, some Canada, and then uh, dropped into Chicago where it was uh, cloudy and, and cold. But in between, everything was was wonderful. Well, so that's good. still still processing all of the things that we had. We tried to share tried to share more of the flight while we were in the air, but the Wi Fi had some some growing pains. Mm, um, airplane Wi Fi uh, that doesn't work. So yeah, it, it's, it's a thing. novel concept, I know. But this was the first time that the system had been tested in the wild on such a flight and with uh, with as many people as as had been on the flight. So over a hundred people were connected, and so it worked for some. Didn't work for others. Uh, the others being, uh, unfortunately, me. So we didn't get to share as much during the flight as we wanted to. But but we'll have more coming up. And by the time the podcast comes out, all that'll be up on the blog and on various social medias. So look for that there. But it, it was a good flight, and, and we had a nice chat with the crew afterwards. So that was a a nice thing to, to kind of end the flight with, talking with their chief pilot and the assistant chief pilot for their their new A350 fleet. Um so cool. so that was that was a good time. Yeah, I think we start getting the 350s here at Newark in March, I believe, which will be a nice on one of, yeah, on one of the flights, the evening flight, I think. Cuz you you have two flights from Copenhagen a day, I think. And there's the afternoon flight and the evening flight, I think it's the 350. So that'll uh, that'll be so nice. So, when are they uh moving over to Stockholm? At this point, it doesn't sound like they are anytime soon because most of the 340 flying is done out of Copenhagen and uh, the A350 is is kind of replacing first and foremost the Ah, A340. Now it's making sense. And and all the comparisons that SAS does against the the 340 and it's pretty incredible to see what the economics of the A350 compared to the A340 are. It's pretty it, it's impressive just, to see what the economics of a garbage can compared to a 340 are. So this is true. Garbage cans are exceedingly fuel efficient. Yep, uh, as <laughs> we all know. Even. Yeah, indeed, that was something something interesting that uh, that we learned in that the A350 is both more fuel efficient and faster. So we flew faster to get to Chicago and arrived. We arrived an entire hour early. Wow! And the the flight time itself. 
was 34 minutes faster because of the increased cruise speed. So I wasn't in a hurry, but uh, I, I guess if not taking more time than you need is, is something that they want to do. So, now so I have that a was, question. Uh, if, you, yeah. if you got to O'Hare an hour early, was there a gate available? Because it was the international terminal, there was indeed uh, a gate available. But I did hear one of the, the station managers at O'Hare said, telling the, the, the pilot that, that he needed to slow down next time. They weren't quite ready to receive the aircraft because of the, you know, the special stuff that they were doing for the, the inaugural going back out of Chicago. But yeah, in the future, I, I guess maybe they'll, they'll adjust the schedule a little bit now that the 350's on there. So it's been another very busy two weeks. I feel like we say that every time or nearly every time. Almost like we space out these podcasts intentionally to let news build between episodes. I, I, I guess. I mean, it, it's, it's really just I, I can only stand to talk to you once every two weeks. It has nothing to do Ooh, with the news also cycle. Also true. But there's a lot going on. And so let's start, uh, I guess, with kind of the, the international aviation story, which is the reaction of airports, airlines, and, and the aviation community writ large to the spreading new and not well understood yet, I guess, coronavirus. There's a lot going on. And I guess we should kind of start with uh, what's happening in, in Wuhan and, and branch out from there. Does that sound like a plan, Jason? Yep. So the airport in Wuhan has been not closed because there are still a few flights operating, but the schedule has been dramatically reduced. And expanding outward from there, certain airlines are cutting capacity. United announced today that they're spend suspending 24 uh, flights to China and airlines in Hong Kong are cutting their capacity by about 50%. So there's a lot kind of happening there and that's just two examples and and I think there there are a few more. Yeah, just that as right now actually it's being reported by my friend Seth Miller that BA is actually halting flights to both Beijing and Shanghai as of let's see I think it's the announcement is expected tomorrow from right now, so two days ago if you're listening to this on release day, but those flights will be ceasing immediately, actually. Yeah, so I mean, that, this is becoming yeah, a, a, certainly a dynamic situation, but also becoming much larger than, you know, kind of uh, one city, restricting travel in one city, certainly. So hopefully this the actions being taken at this point will help contain any further spread. I say that having only a little bit of hope at this point that that'll actually happen. Yeah, I think we're kind of beyond that point, but slowing it down can't possibly hurt, but I think the we've already let this spread to far corners of the globe, so we're way past prevention and more towards containment at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly the, these aren't bad ideas for airlines to be taking steps to to kind of restrict certain flights to certain areas. Given that the travel headaches involved, airlines may just also be saying, well, the demand is, is lower. So, it, it's both a 
public health, but also, I mean, frankly, a business decision. I mean, if, if so many people are, yeah, I was just going to say that they're they're not doing this out of the kindness of their hearts to prevent the spread of disease. They're doing it because there ain't no money to be made when there's nobody wanting to go to or, China. or allowed to fly out in certain cases, or the government right, tells right. them you can't do this anymore. So far, it's it's primarily been, especially in the case of United, the planes are going empty, so they're going to stop sending the plane. Makes good sense to me. That's yeah, a good business <laughs> yeah. decision. Hopefully, in two weeks, when we record our next episode, we'll have a, a much, much better handle on things and a much more uplifting picture to paint regarding the, the coronavirus, but, but right now, we it's... We, we don't know. The longer this goes on, obviously, the bigger the effect it has on aviation. And certainly, if it spreads beyond China, if kind of the, the main concern of things spreads beyond China, then I think we're in a very new, scary scenario. Over the weekend, we were following a crash of a helicopter in the Los Angeles area. And it turned out that Kobe Bryant and his daughter, along with seven other people, were on board. Sadly, no one survived the crash into a hillside in, in Calabasas, California, kind of uh, a little northwest uh, of Los Angeles, near kind of on their way to Th Thousand Oaks area. And a lot has been discussed, conjectured, surmised, speculated. If you're a listener of the podcast, you know that we try and not do that for various reasons, but but one is that, you know, we just don't know. The NTSB is is investigating, the FBI is insisting uh, assisting the investigation purely as a uh, we needed physical help. The NTSB said not as any type of, you know, thought that there's criminal wrongdoing or anything like that. Just they needed the folks to help with evidence collection and things like that. So they're looking into all sorts of factors, the mechanical factors, the human factors, weather, all of the things that they always look into. And obviously, they will release support, a report when they've concluded their investigation. And from there, we will certainly read that report and, and come back. But a, a tragic accident and certainly one that that has kind of weighed heavy on a lot of people outside the aviation community for, for obvious reasons. For anyone who's listening to the podcast who doesn't know who Kobe Bryant is, he was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I think I feel comfortable saying that even though I'm not a huge basketball fan. So I, I, I think right I'm on, I think I'm uncomfortable footing here, but that was a loss certainly felt you know kind of worldwide. He had played in a number of places, you know, growing up and become a, a fixture post retirement outside of basketball. So a lot of tributes and things pouring in all, all over the world. That was not something that these types of things are, are never good, but you know, kind of hitting especially hard. Jason, how about some good news? Do we have any? We do. We do. The Boeing 777X has flown for the oh, first time. Finally. 
it has flown. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It flapped its tiny folding wingtips. When I say tiny, they're like 11 feet long. <laughs> it flapped its wingtips and it flew away. And, and it looked came really back, good though. doing it. it well, yeah, it, it did come. It, it made a big circle, so to speak. But after delays and more delays and one final delay because of the weather, they it flew. It flew, yeah. It was supposed to have flown on what was it? On not Saturday, Friday. Uh, Friday. It was supposed so, to have flown on, on Friday. Friday at about twelve or one o'clock. But the weather in Seattle was horribly bad, even even for Seattle. But it was kind of questionable that Boeing even attempted. So what happens is on the first flight, an aircraft departing Payne Field needs to take off to the north, so it pretty much immediately ends out over um, over water, not over populated areas. But that would have created in on the weather on this particular day a quite hefty tailwind well beyond the aircraft's capability they needed a maximum tailwind component that i believe of 10 knots and the wind was anywhere from 20 sustained gusting over 30 with no point in the forecast suggesting they were going to meet that the um minimum i guess the maximum sustained wind so it was a little questionable that they even tried. So basically, the aircraft taxied down to the end of the runway, parked there for four hours, um, did its best simulation of what happens during ramp congestion at JFK, turned around and went back to the gate. So so we know it could pass that test. <laughs> Thankfully, the second day on uh, Saturday, it went out to the runway and pretty much took right off with. Um, unfortunately, really nobody from Boeing out there like there was on Friday. They had what looked like thousands of employees. Who I, really I think they said the there were 8,000 people. Yeah, 8,000 uh, employees out there who really needed that morale boost, boost who did not get it. And on Saturday, it kind of went up um, almost without much fanfare, seemingly. Um, their webcast only started a few minutes ahead of time. But it went up, it did its thing, and then it ended up landing at Boeing Field in downtown Seattle. Yeah, it was uh, you know a, a four-hour flight. They did the uh, traditional Mount Rainier photo pass. That was nice, and I'm looking forward to seeing those photos. And then I think it was oh, back was in the air today. Usually, it could be quite a while but so, between yeah, the getting, first and uh, second flight. It was one of the things where I got the alert in the five ah, seconds that the Wi-Fi nice. was working on the flight. And then when I went to check it, the Wi-Fi wasn't working Thanks, well enough to that. actually check in on but it. It so, was good. It's a I'll very that pretty later. plane. It's a very big yeah. plane. It sounds amazing taking off. I was happy the audio worked quite well on that. And I'm almost surprised how quickly the wingtips fold up and down. That was I thought it would take a longer time for those to function. Yeah. I mean, they really do kind of up and move up and down very quickly. When it landed, I it act, they, I believe they rolled rolled up, the, folded up the wingtips before they were even done on the, the landing roll. Yeah, they, they were still well into their, uh, well into the rollout so that's when, pretty cool. when the, the wingtips came up. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense because I, I guess, you know, you have to, to get them up before you taxi get onto the taxiway, but yeah, they're really quick. And yeah, the plane does sound really good. Yeah. Those GE GE engines just they're they're they are pretty yep. sounding. 
the GE9X, which is the world's largest jet engine, but not the world's most powerful. Because as it turns out, when you make things more efficient, you you don't have to make them more powerful. Yep, plane don't go any so, faster. No, so that that's an interesting thing that I found just about how how that all works. You don't need to add more power. It's just it's just slightly longer. Yeah, I'm and, excited to and, see it in person someday soon because it looks like a monster. So flight tests for at least a year. And then deliveries to airlines beginning in 2021. Emirates is first, I believe. Emirates is the launch customer. There are eight airlines that have placed orders. Emirates, uh, Etihad, British Airways is among them, Lufthansa. Though I don't know if it's Lufthansa specifically or if it's Lufthansa Group. At least Lufthansa, uh, if not right, others in the right. group. And a few more that I am missing off the top of my head. But we can start looking for those next year, hopefully. Shall we take a quick break and come back and discuss some of the money that's moving around in aviation this week? Can I have some? No, but you're going to give some up. We'll explain after a quick break. Welcome back. Jason has his wallet out and he is ready to put down at least $3 billion to become the new owner of Air India. Congratulations, Jason. Thank you. Unfortunately, that $3 billion only pays off Air India's debt. So I don't even get much for that $3 billion. $3 billion and $1. Ah, now I own the whole now thing. Now you own Air India. If you would like to own a part of a monstrous money-losing operation, can we interest you in another chunk of Air India? Three billion and two dollars. I'll mm, start the bidding. It's it's a bad idea. Don't do it. The whole idea here is that Air India, the government, is trying to divest itself of the airline. I don't see anyone stepping forward to say, sure, I'll do that. But they're going to try. Good luck. Bless them for trying. But like you said, who who's going to buy Air India? It's <laughs> Why would anyone do I, that? I don't know. I don't know. But they're going to try. So, yeah. Okay. Good for them. I, I If they find a bidder, um, maybe Etihad. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not going to work. We've, we've, we've tried we've that go, already. We've gone, we've gone down that road a few times. We're not, we're not going down it again. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days, just to like come up with a crazy idea that just might work. And I can't. I can't figure no. out who would want to buy it. I can't figure out who might want to own a piece with another airline or, or something. I just can't figure. There's, there's no good reason to purchase Air India that I can come up with. If you don't want Air India... Can I interest you in a chunk of South African Airways? Now we're talking. Go on. Yeah. Go on. Well, South African Airways has been on the brink of insolvency and non-existence for quite some time, but somebody, I guess the government, gave them $137 million to continue operating, which an airline finance is like, what, a week? I, I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't sound... It doesn't sound like a lot, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, 
but they're they're pulling out all the stops. They're I believe they they shuttled one of their A three forty six hundreds off to uh, where did it go? It's, uh, San Bernardino. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why it goes there, but um, one of them is being. They have facilities there. Sure, why not? But they're withdrawing a part of their fleet. They're retiring or, or parking nine A340s, but they're only taking four A350s to replace them. It, it's very confusing, but they, they are of the opinion that somebody out there will want to buy their very old A340, 300s, and 600s, which is, again is like, why would anybody do that? Nobody wants A340s. That's crazy. Is, is Plus Ultra looking for more airplanes? Oh, no, probably not. They just took their second day 340-600. What's well, another- that's, a, that's something. I mean, what what's another few A340s? How could they end up transferring them from South Africa to Iran? Iran's always looking for A340s. So, I mean- If they it, could figure that out- that Stranger things out, have happened. Yeah, if they could figure that transaction out, that's probably the only country in the world that would want to buy old A340s. They just picked up a couple old A319s, I think, from Russia. So, 340s from South Africa, why not? Perfect. They're not getting anything new anymore. That lasted no. for a hot minute, so they'll, they'll take these. So, let's talk about an airline that you might actually want to own. Like this business makes good sense, at yeah. least, you know, generally speaking. The Polish Aviation Group, which is the parent company of Lot Polish Airlines, bought Condor or is buying Condor. I mean, these things are always who knows how long they'll actually take. But the idea is that they're buying the whole part and parcel of Condor and it will remain Condor. The folks who run Condor, the name, all that good fun stuff, at least for the time being. And the Polish Aviation Group will use Condor as a way to get into leisure flying and, and that type of thing as a new line of business. So that one seems to make good sense to me. Yeah. And remember, Condor was a unit of Thomas. Group Thomas Cook Group, which Correct. no longer yes, exists. Yes, I, I should, so have, I should have mentioned that from the top. had a, a large bridge loan from the German government, which PGA, PGL will apparently pay off and then own Condor outright, including their rather elderly 767s, which I think they're- um, They've PGL said will, that they're going to get rid of them. Yeah. So, I think in 2024, they're going to do something. I don't know if they have any orders on- on the books right now because Lot itself desperately needs airplanes. So we'll see what happens with Condor. Maybe they could take some South African A three forties. Um no. No. No, that's a bad I, idea. I did see in Chicago the Air Belgium A three forty operating for Lot. And I am um, excited to fly that in March and April. So that was a nice kind of surprise to see at the gate. I, I was had it the forgotten that one they or were the all white one. It was the painted one. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. It was the one with the swishy paint. I had forgotten that they were operating the uh, the Krakow flight for Lot out of Chicago. So that was a, a nice surprise. It's an interesting move because Lot itself has been struggling a lot recently with fleet availability. Its seven eight sevens have had the Rolls Royce issues. Its Maxes have obviously been grounded, so it's really struggled to make fleet ends meet. 
So I doubt they will end up absorbing any Condor aircraft and, and operate for Lot, but anything's possible. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Lot because they went from this they went from this kind of position of being able to lease out their aircraft as they kind of grew their network and and had more aircraft than they could use. And then their 787s broke ostensibly and the Max grounded and they went from leasing out to leasing in, which is uh, a rather unfortunate position to be in and and yet here they are. But yeah, like you said, I don't don't know what they'll do with... uh, with the, ca- the capacity that the condo brings, but it'll be interesting to see if they do anything with it. Airbus today said that they agreed in principle to a settlement in the bribery and fraud investigations that were brought by the uh, French, UK, and US governments. And uh, I'll let Jason explain everything about that. Wait, what? <laughs> That's really all there is to it at this point. We we don't know much more because obviously the agreement is in principle, so they haven't written anything down to to that you know we're able to share. Then this this is something Airbus has been grappling with for what seems like ever their entire executive organization that was involved in this is pretty much gone at this point as well. But this, these investigations take a long time to finally close out. Yeah, so I would assume that there will be some sort of penalty to pay. What that ends up being, and what the agree, how the agreement ends up being structured, is is still something we don't know. But it looks like Airbus is is ready to to close this particular chapter on their history. On to the next. Indeed, we had a a very interesting runway overrun this week in Iran. A Caspian Airlines MD-83 overran the runway and continued across a highway in uh, Masharar. And then everyone got out of the aircraft, carried all of their baggage. And it looks like uh, they deactivated the sides too. And got out. Yeah, that I I don't know. But everyone on board survived with uh, not serious injuries. What's interesting is that they landed with the wind, so they landed with a tailwind. Which, as we learned earlier today, is not good. It's not such a great idea. So, that's something I think that any investigation will be will be looking into. But thankfully, everyone made it out okay, including everyone's luggage. Uh, <laughs> lots of pictures of uh, people taking their luggage and, and things like that. So, leave your people leave your luggage. Just just leave the luggage in the plane. Get get out of the plane if you're told to get out of the plane. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now it's time for your favorite segment and mine. Mm, what are we calling it this week? I don't know. What do you want to call it this week? The I think we, we already used the bi-weekly Boeing bungle. Is that a new one? I think that's a new one. Uh, okay. So that's a good that one. Was, yeah, that was suggested by a listener. And we think it's a pretty good one. So yeah. we're, we're going to go with that for right now. Although this week, less of a bungle and more of a... Eh, there's a bit of bungling going on here. There, there's, there, there's some... It's different bungling. Yeah. Explain it to me, please. Okay. Well, Boeing is, you know, still trying to recover from the, the whole 737 MAX grounding seemingly lasting forever thing. 
and they basically came out of nowhere and said the Max will be un in their quote ungrounded, which is a new term that we had not previously heard, and it's a little unspecific and does that mean recertified, commercially flying again? I don't know. Ungrounded. Mid twenty twenty, which is quite a bit farther out than any of the prior messaging of quarter one or the second quarter, just mid twenty twenty. And apparently they forgot to tell anyone before they announced that. So even the CEO of Southwest, with currently the largest Max fleet in the world, didn't know this was coming. So Oops. I, yeah, you, if you're Boeing, you, you should probably keep your airline customers um, in the loop here. Not a great look that the airlines are caught off guard about their own fleets. But that's we don't know what mid-2020 means. It could mean June. It could mean September in Boeing language. We, we, we don't really know. It's giving them a lot of leeway. But pretty much at this point, summer 2020, you're not going to see the MAX operate for pretty much any airline unless they toss a Hail Mary and something is caught in the end zone. The FAA says maybe sooner than that, but at this point... Even if the FAA does recertify it, it's going to be a monstrous effort to get these aircraft back into the sky. I think we've talked about that in the past. And Boeing is going to end up restarting production before the recertification of the aircraft. I think, what did they say, it was going to last 90 days total? I think it was United Technologies was targeting a 90-day freeze. And Boeing had just said that it would start restart production months before the aircraft actually returned to service. Which could mean six, it could mean two. Yeah, I mean, every new statement from Boeing is giving themselves a lot of a lot of play in the numbers. And, and I think that, you know, part of this is they had been so optimistic in their timeline. Right. This is a good change. Before, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, the one thing to note is that they didn't tell anybody that they were going to start doing this. By anybody, I mean, you know, their customers. But now they're they're being more conservative and cautious about their their time estimates and and a bit more vague with return to service is it ungrounding what what does that all mean and and it's been interpreted in a, a few different ways whereas before they were providing extremely optimistic few weeks it's almost done no problem we're working on it and, and you know back and back and back and back and coming back so I, I think this gives them a lot more breathing room and it also allows them to come back and say you know what thing things went faster than we thought they would we we got it fixed here you go that would be nice it would be nice but but like you said we're, we're still going to be without the airplane through the summer right even uh, if Boeing were today to say, Everything's great. It's it's recertified. We're good to go. Airlines have already removed it through, for the most case, through June of 2020. Yeah. So Boeing could say today, the airplane's back. Let's go. The airlines would be forced to say, not for six months it ain't. Because unfortunately, they've already removed it from the schedule before Boeing gave them this mid-2020 timeline, which is, again, quite vague. But it's it's good that they're being vague like this. They're no longer driving the recertification by an arbitrary date that they want to meet so they can prove to their stockholders that they are that they've still got it and they'll still get their dividends at the end of the quarter this is a much more realistic maybe it will be april maybe it will be september we don't know yeah i think that's definitely a, a welcome change there 
But the other thing to remember is now with the simulator training that's going to be required. Yeah, that's a whole new wrinkle. We have no idea how long that's going to take. I mean, there there are tens of thousands of pilots that are going to need simulator training. And some people are brushing that off as not a big deal. Like, oh, you take the 45 simulators that are running, you operate them 24-7, you put people in there for two hours at a time, bing, bang, bong, you'll get them done real quick. But scheduling doesn't work that way. These pilots are operating, you know, NGs today. They can't just fly off to wherever one of these 45 simulators are. If United Airlines only has one simulator, how long is it going to take just to train their own pilots? I mean, is United going to fly a bunch of their pilots to Fiji to train in the simulator? I volunteer as tribute to to see (laughs) that happen. You're going to go investigate that firsthand. I appreciate that. I appreciate your your selfless act there. It'd be great. And remember, Fiji Airways has to get its own pilots in there too. Right. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, even if airlines wanted to rent out their simulators, they're they're probably still going to want to get their pilots trained up first. I don't see this being not a big deal. Right. And it's not like they can start preparing pilots and simulators today because the software, I guess, is still not done. So you can't even start the process today to ramp them up to the point where when the plane is certified, the pilots are ready to go because that that's just not how this is going to work. Is it going to be the case that um, pilots are only beginning the training in the simulators once the aircraft is recertified? We don't really know how that's going to work, do we? No, no, we don't. That's a good question. Yeah, when can pilots begin the simulator training is I a would great assume question. once the software package is finalized and ready to go, but that, that still hasn't happened. Right. But but doesn't that presuppose that if the software package has been finalized, that the aircraft has been recertified? Ah, don't know, do we? We we have no idea. No, we 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 know nothing. This we will give us something. Anything. This will give us something to research and probably come up with an inconclusive answer for next week. So and then we'll we'll do the whole thing over again. But moving in the right direction, it finally seems like. And hey, the triple seven X flew, so so Boeing did something good. Yeah, I don't think we, that we should take anything away from that. That the triple seven X flew. I mean, that you know, a first flight's a first flight, right? That, that's a big so deal. That's it is a big deal, and, and the webcast that they had. Oh God, the webcast on Friday. Uh, I, I'm going to stay away from the the technical criticism of the webcast, but the content of the webcast, not the actual content, but the spirit of the content. I will say was I thought good for the folks who who had worked on the 777X and to be able to see that that their work was was finally in the air. A morale um, boost, yes. Um, there you go. That's the word I but, was looking uh, for. But apparently Boeing had spent all of its money recently on on everything else Max related and had literally tens of dollars left to put this webcast together for the 777X and they they made it work, but it wasn't pretty. But some of the visuals those that they were had, pretty. They were pretty. They had a helicopter buzzing all over the place at Everett, which was pretty damn cool. But man, that was some of the commentary and the, the video packages were painful to watch. Um, yep, yep. cost literally dozens of dollars to produce. They could really use professional help there, and I'm sure people would be more than willing to help. But at the end of the day, they got the live shot of the airplane taking off and landing, and that's all that matters. 
they didn't miss that, and and so it all worked out. I mean, they almost missed the landing because the <laughs> live stream only kicked in at about five hundred feet. So they were trying to crank start the uh, the camera or something. I I don't know, but yeah, it it did all work out. So we'll we'll take what we can get. I am going to take what I can get and go collapse into a heap because I have been up for far too long. You but should we go to made bed. it. I should go to bed. We should all go to bed. And I think that's going to be our plan. And then we'll come back in a couple of weeks and do it all over again. All right. All right. I am Ian Pechnik. This has been episode 76 of Avtalk. And I am here as always with Jason Rubinowitz. And thank you for listening.